And if you will join me in Mark chapter 8, Mark 8 in the blue ESV Bibles in your seatbacks, that will be page 844. We're going to be looking at verses 22 through 26. The title of our sermon this morning is Walking Trees, and the key words for our worshipers in training are blind, tree, and sight. Now, have you ever heard of a man by the name of Daniel Kish? Some of you may have. Daniel was born with a genetic disorder that rendered him completely blind as an infant. So at 13 months old, his eyes were removed and they were replaced with prosthetic glass eyes that offer no vision to him whatsoever. Daniel is now 50 years old. He lives by himself in California and has become someone quite popular as uh, someone who navigates the world around him using echolocation. He clicks his tongue, and as he does that, it sends a sound out in front of him, and it bounces off of surfaces in the environment and comes back to him, and so he has uh, this mental image that he develops of the environment around him, and he is able to navigate. Daniel's gotten so good at this that he regularly rides a bicycle and goes hiking by himself, and he rides his bike in the streets of California. He has no memory of ever actually being able to see anything, but he goes through his life day by day without any assistance whatsoever. In recent years, people have begun calling him Batman because echolocation is the same things that bats use to navigate their environment. Daniel has a a TED Talk, if you're familiar with those. He's done several interviews, and there are videos with him riding his bike that you can watch online. One of the things that he says he does in his mind when he has some idea of what's around him through echolocation, he develops this 3D image in his mind of what he thinks something looks like. And then how he's going to navigate that obstacle. And as I've listened to him talk about his life and and how he does these things, I've wondered what it would be like for him if one day he actually could see. What would he think if he saw something as it actually is for the first time as compared to what he has pictured in his mind all along? Now, fortunately for Daniel, he has made very good use of what God has gifted him to be able to do. He had difficult circumstances, and he will readily admit that even though he's able to do what he does, he's still limited in not being able to do everything in its fullest potential. He still hasn't figured out how to drive a car using echolocation. (laughs) There are certainly things that he perceives to be one thing, as it may be in his mind, but others will reveal to him that its particular use and structure is actually quite different. So there are many limitations. Now, I thought of Daniel as I thought of our text this morning as we continue in our series on the downcast soul, looking at the very real experience of many Christians with spiritual depression. And we're going to give some thought to what spiritual depression does to our ability to see things as they really are. Oftentimes, when a person has a downcast soul, 
They begin to form images. They begin to form ideas in their minds that do not correspond to reality. And so they're navigating their way through this life using whatever means they can come up with to get by. And while Daniel isn't hopeful at all that he will ever have eyes to see the real physical world, there is a hope from God's Word that believers with downcast souls can begin to really see the world around them in a way that corresponds with reality, a way that is clear, a way that is full. And we'll see a physical example of this in our text this morning with a blind man who has an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's read together Mark's Gospel, chapter 8, beginning in verse 22. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village, and when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. Now, this passage is set in the context of the overall chapter that it's important to get our grasp on uh, so that we know why Mark included this story in his gospel account. In fact, Mark is the only gospel writer to include this story. Now, most commentators are going to point out, which is true of many of Jesus' miracles, that yes, while they were miracles to show Jesus' power and his divinity, they were also, uh, they were illustrations, they were parables, if you will, to teach us something. So why do we think that? Because Jesus had the ability to heal this man without doing anything other than he did many other times and just say the word. He could have just willed it to be, and the man could have been healed of his blindness. He could have done what he did to raise Lazarus from the grave and simply said, open your eyes and see. But he didn't do that. In fact, not only did he not do that, he was very deliberate. He was very methodical. And the point here is not to show that there's some kind of healing properties in Jesus' saliva, but rather to show us something of a process of coming out of a state of spiritual blindness into a place where we can clearly see. How do we know it's about spiritual blindness? But we see in the context of the whole chapter, everything that is going on in this chapter is pointing in the same direction. In Mark chapter 8, verses 1 through 21, they're all about the spiritual blindness of the disciples and the Pharisees. In verses 1 through 10, they're about the fact that the disciples, having walked with Jesus for quite a while now, seeing and hearing all that he had done and said, they still didn't get it. They still did not understand who he was and what he was doing to the fullest extent. And then in verses 11 through 21, uh, we see that the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they still didn't get it either. They didn't get the magnitude of who Jesus is. And he's he's not just a rabbi. He's not just a teacher or a political leader. And, And notice at the end of verse 21, he says to the people, Do you not yet understand? 
And then it's not until this miracle that we're going to look at, it's not until this happens that Peter, the apostle, finally gets it. And he's the first one to move out of a state of spiritual blindness. So this is not just about Jesus having the power and the ability to heal someone physically. That is true, that is good, that is right. We need to identify that. But there's a bigger picture here that puts our text in the middle of an important, larger context that we need to see. And the first thing that we can learn from this miracle this morning is that everyone must face the fact of spiritual blindness. Now, this chapter really teaches us a lot about this matter of spiritual blindness. What we see very quickly is that spiritual blindness affects everyone. It affects everyone. The disciples are blind. The religious leaders, the Pharisees, they're blind. In Jesus' world, that makes up everybody. And it really comes up against what was just as prevalent in the thinking of Jesus' day as is prevalent in the thinking today. Namely, that the world is made up of good people and the world is made up of bad people. The good people supposedly see the truth and love it and live according to it while the bad people resist and deny it. They're the blind ones. They're the ones who we need to reject. But that's not where the Bible goes on this issue, is it? According to what we see throughout the whole story of Scripture, everyone must face the fact of their own spiritual blindness. And here's the fact. All of us come into this world spiritually blind. The disciples of Jesus and the religious leaders, the friends of Jesus and the enemies of Jesus, the blue-collar people and the white-collar people, the insiders, the outsiders, the moral, the immoral, everybody. We cannot escape the very reality, the truth of our human nature, and that spiritually speaking, we are as blind as Daniel Kish. Now, if you ever talk to someone who became a Christian later in life, you really get a sense of this. For some of you, this is your story. You know this very keenly. There was a time when rather than hear the truth of the, go- of the gospel, when you, when you heard God's word, you would hear that in your spiritual condition. You would hear of your need for Christ and you would just shrug your shoulders and, and move on and determine that was not something you were interested in. Or perhaps you were a bit more diplomatic and you you said, well, if that's good for you, that's great, but it's not anything that I'm interested in. For others, maybe it's more vocal, it's more militant, it's more in your face. I don't want anything to do with that. Leave me alone with all of that. For others, it's just indifference. They just don't care. They really give no thought to it at all, even when they hear it. But that's all a part of spiritual blindness. Now, there's also a spiritual blindness that often exists within the church, and that's a person who thinks they're a Christian when they're really not. A person that has gone through certain motions, who looks at things that they've done, and they build their righteousness upon their own works. And and listen, all of us were at one of those places at one point in our lives, and perhaps some of you are still in one of those places today. And here's what the text is showing us. It's showing us that this spiritual blindness, it's not just some small or insignificant thing. It's not something that we just overcome in and of ourselves. 
It requires the work of Jesus, and more specifically, it takes more than one touch from Jesus that we might really have full sight. There's a process that we we go through where we might have a bit of sight at first, but to see clearly, to see fully, we need Jesus to touch us again and again and bring more and more clarity to our lives. Our spiritual blindness is so pervasive It is so much a part of our lives that even when we become Christians, it takes time to see many of the things that marked our lives begin to pass away. So so even when we gain some spiritual insight, it might still be fuzzy for a while. This is the process that the Lord brings us through. From when he saves us till the end of our lives, he's sanctifying us and making us more and more like Jesus. The fuzziness is clearing out. We begin to see better and better. Now, now, what does all of this have to do with spiritual depression and the downcast soul? We'll consider those who find themselves in a state of spiritual depression in our second point, but here, just a word for those who seek to walk alongside the spiritually depressed. And brothers and sisters, that should be all of us. One of the things that can happen when we're dealing with someone living in a dark night of the soul, is that we can begin to be a bit frustrated with them. We can just want to sort of shake them out of it or tell them to get over it or to stop doing what they're doing and just move on. Charles Spurgeon counsels us in this. He says, Judge not the sons and daughters of sorrow. Allow no ungenerous suspicions of the afflicted, the poor, and the despondent. Do not hastily say they ought to be more brave and exhibit a greater faith. Ask not, why are they so nervous and so absurdly fearful? No, I beseech you, remember that you understand not your fellow man. Listen, there's no way that you can know how another person feels from day to day and how those feelings are impacting the way that they think, the way that they reason through the day. But what you can know What you absolutely can know is that both of you have been in the same place before, that place of spiritual blindness. And so that means for you that you have to fight against the impulse to be impatient or or to think yourself superior to anybody. It's easy to get to that place where we look at someone who doesn't believe or believes less than you do or is showing a lack of faith or trust and it seems like they're just trying to coast through life, it's easy to look down our noses at them, but we must never get irritable with them. We mustn't get impatient with them. And it's going to rise up in our hearts. It is. I promise because it's the natural tendency of humanity. When you are so sure of something, when you are talking to somebody else who just doesn't get it or who does not agree with you on this, everything about you is thinking and sometimes even saying, you fool, what is your problem? Why are you so blind? We've all been in those conversations, haven't we? Unfortunately, with the advent of social media in our generation, it happens more and more every day. All of a sudden, everyone has become an expert on everything and has an opinion on everything, and 
wants to share their opinion on everything with everyone else. You've been there. You've, you've read something. You hear someone say something, and you think, how is it even possible that a real human being with flesh and blood could ever have thought or believed what you're saying right now? But what are we doing there? We're actually revealing that we still, in some way, are in a state of spiritual blindness. Why do I say that? Well, when we look down our noses and grow impatient and grumpy with people who are struggling to get where we are, we need Jesus to touch our own eyes again because our spiritual sight just isn't clear like we think it might be. Because when you truly have eyes to see, you may be 100% right about something, but even though you're right, you need to realize how much of a gift it is and how rare of a gift it is. So when you walk alongside a person who is really struggling to just make it through the day, you're not growing impatient. Your heart is filled with compassion. Your heart is filled with a desire to see them healthy and whole and walking faithfully and joyfully with the Lord Jesus Christ. That shouldn't lead to grumpiness. That shouldn't lead to impatience with a person. And that was Spurgeon's point. How do I know if I'm seeing things clearly? I know I'm seeing things clearly when I'm at a place where I can admit how little I actually see. And only then am I able to identify and love others that I can bring them to a place where they too can see. Look at Jesus. Look at the details of this, this story. He didn't just shout out to the blind man, hey, blind man, open your eyes. You can see now. It would have been no less miraculous. But look at what he does in verse 23. It says he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. He got him alone. It was just this man and Jesus. And I'm sure the disciples followed, but the point is that it wasn't about everyone in the village seeing what he's going to do. It wasn't about Jesus making a big scene or proving a big point to everyone. It was about this man. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? Now, notice Jesus isn't impatient with him. He's not telling the man to hurry along. He's tenderly, he's lovingly leading the man outside of the village, and he takes the time to work with him and to see it through to the very end. And even if the man, after the man responds, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Notice Jesus, he, he doesn't say what are you talking about? Get over this, man. I'm telling you, open your eyes. You're not trying hard enough. You don't have enough faith. Get over this. You're not doing enough to make this happen. I've told you what to do. Now do it. Now what does he do instead? It says, then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again. And he opened his eyes, and his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Here's the deal. Jesus was patient. Jesus was gentle. Jesus was kind-hearted. Jesus was compassionate because Jesus knew that only Jesus could do what needed to be done that the blind man could see. And if you're seeking to walk alongside a brother or a sister who's in a state of spiritual depression, it would serve both of you well to remember that you do not have spiritual eyes to see because of something that you did. 
but only because Jesus did it for you with compassion and patience and gentleness and love. Are you a Christian with eyes to see and are you feeling spiritually healthy seeing with clear eyes? If so, then there's no place for impatience or grumpiness with others. Can you sing truthfully? Can you sing, I once was blind, but now I see? There's one reason for that. Amazing grace. Don't forget where it comes from. Now, what about the person in a state of spiritual depression? The second point from our text this morning is that the spiritually depressed Christians live in a world of walking trees. After Jesus puts his hands on the blind man and asks, do you see anything? Look at verse 24. And he looked up and said, I see people but they look like trees walking. This is the realm, this is the place where people with downcast souls most often dwell in the world of walking trees. This is no longer a blind person. They're not spiritually blind, and yet, what do they see? They do not see clearly. If you think about it in physical terms, it's like the images that Daniel Kish forms in his mind, the 3D images he puts together of what he thinks corresponds to the reality but isn't entirely sure. And for a person who is in this state of being, it's, it's a terrifying place to be. One minute they're saying, yes, I'm a Christian. I know that I am. I know that Jesus has rescued me. And yet at other times, everything within them seems to say, there's no way I could be a Christian. If I were, I wouldn't be having these thoughts. I would just snap out of it. I wouldn't feel this way. And for those who are truly believers, they find no enjoyment in, in worldly things, but at the same time, they may be struggling to find some enjoyment of anything of godly value either. But we can say with hope that it is good that at least they see something, right? It may be people looking like walking trees, but it's something. It's a starting place. When you talk to a spiritually depressed person, it's not as though they don't know something is going on. That something is a way that it shouldn't be. They are unhappy with themselves. They're unhappy with their circumstances. They're down on themselves for lacking faith, for lacking peace, for lacking hope, no words of encouragement or counsel to look to Christ seems to help them. And for some, the struggle intensifies when every effort is made to, to will it all to happen, when, when doing seems to be the right answer instead of resting in what's already done. Or even still, they can see something and the something they see is the fact that they're not in control. And, and for the person who is spiritually healthy, for the one who has spiritually healthy eyes, knowing that we're not in control can give us comfort because we're resting in a sovereign God. But for the person who's spiritually depressed, it can be crippling and fearful. Now, there's a real or imagined sense of being deserted by God in some people's lives. There's a sense that he's angry with something that we've done, and so we've forfeited his love. 
or that he's, he's simply left us to our own devices and he's punishing us with the silent treatment. Again, Charles Spurgeon describes this and he says, if we believe God has left us in our miseries and hardships, there is a torment within the breast which I can only liken to a prelude of hell. He says a person can bear a bleeding body and even a wounded spirit, but a soul conscious of desertion by God is beyond conception unendurable. So often, a person with a downcast soul is a person who wants to feel but cannot feel. And what we learn from the text is that a person in this state of soul, they don't need a checklist They don't need a good talking to. They don't need a shake or a slap to get over it and move on. They need another touch from the Lord Jesus Christ, that their spiritual sight might be restored so like the blind man they can see everything more clearly. There are two great temptations in a state of spiritual depression that any of us can find ourselves in at one time or another. The first is quite harmful, not only to that person, but also to those around them. This is the person who simply tries to muscle through their way in all of life, pretending like they can see just fine, when in fact everything and everyone around them actually looks like walking trees but they have no intention of visiting the eye doctor or wearing contacts or glasses. They will put on a smile, they will say the right things, and they will just sort of coast, trying their hardest to convince themselves and others that they are, they are actually seeing just fine. And I fear this is a regular case. Is this you, brother or sister? Are you trying to coast? Are you trying to get by when... You're making every attempt at proving yourself to others just how together everything really is when in fact an honest assessment for a few minutes reveals you're not really seeing anything clearly at all, but everything's quite blurry for you. Think of this man. How easy would it have been for this blind man at once completely and totally blind, now able to make out something The first time Jesus touched him, he makes out something, and from there he runs off proclaiming to all, I can see! I can see! It was better than nothing. So perhaps that was satisfying enough, and yet it was still incomplete, it was still imperfect. And in so many ways, it's fatal. So often an attempt to make up for our deficiencies We're the ones that always try to teach and tell others what we know to be true from the Bible. And we want to appear spiritually. And we want to appear engaged in spiritual things. But in doing so, we harm others because we're only describing other men as trees walking and not as they really are. It's misleading. It's dangerous. Now, the other temptation is exactly the opposite. And it's not to acknowledge being able to see everything. It's, it's saying that I can't see anything at all when, in fact, I actually can. There's a sense that, yes, Jesus touched me. I was able to see a little bit, but it's not clear. So it's not even worth opening my eyes. What's the point? It's hopeless. And so this person stops reading their Bible. They stop praying. They make no effort to attend the preaching of the Word 
You know, the devil has so often used this to discourage many saints with lies, and it always comes with a tremendous amount of regret. But I want to urge you, dear brother or sister, I want to urge you, do not listen to the evil one. The thing about Satan's lies is that they always sound so true. He's a master deceiver. He will use the most crafty arguments to trip you up and turn you around. And so there often comes a time in a Christian's life where we have to be willing to do what's right. We have to be doing what's true, even when the results of doing so aren't always what we hope they will be. But I'm afraid we so often underestimate the sufficiency of God's Word in our lives that when we come to it and say, I find no joy in the Word of God today, we set it aside and we effectively consider it ineffective. And yet, when we do so, we're doing so to our own peril, believing the devil's lie that maybe it is ineffective. Maybe it's altogether lacking in power for me. But Christian, at that time, more than any other, is a time to fight that you might see more clearly. Do you want a touch from Jesus that clears away the blurriness that distorts your ability to actually see what's true? You have to take in His Word. You must take in His Word. You may not be able to read it, so listen to it. You may not be able to understand it, so listen to good sermons. You may not want to do it, but dear brother or sister, medicine does not always taste as sweet as we might hope it would. But we need it. You need the word, so drink deeply and drink often. It is the spiritual remedy that your sight might be restored. You have no hope apart from the work of the word of God because it's through the word of God that Jesus touches our eyes that we might see. You know, so often we want to try everything else before we go to what we know will work. We just try to change our circumstances. Maybe we'll just ride it out and hope eventually it's going to go away. We might pretend it's not there, but eventually it will strike hard and we'll be unprepared. Brothers and sisters, what are you doing to regularly feed your soul with the pure Word of God? Anything at all? If not, beware. Beware. Your vision is fading, and it will grow dimmer and dimmer before you even realize that you're only now seeing people as trees walking. You need the Word of God because, as we see in our last point this morning, only Jesus can and will give us eyes to see reality when we turn to Him alone. One of the strange things that we convince ourselves of in a state of spiritual depression is that pulling away from God is going to help us somehow. That we should just follow our natural impulse in that state of being and not pray and not turn to the Word. But we see enough to know that it is only Jesus who can actually do what we need. It was only Jesus who could help the man see clearly. We must be honest to answer our Lord's question truthfully and honestly. Ask yourself this question, do you see anything? We need to carry that with us in prayer every single day. Answer that question before the Lord. Do you see anything? 
Let's be honest. Let's face the questions. Let's, let's face them with absolute honesty because only then can we submit ourselves to the Lord truly that we might say, I want to know and I want to hold on to the truth of God whatever it costs me. I want to be submitted and I want to come under submission as a little child under, under God's word, pleading with him to give me clear sight perfect vision to make me whole again. And not only can Jesus do that, he will. He will do that. He never leaves anything incomplete. He who has begun a good work in you will bring it to completion. This is what the Lord shows us in his word this morning. This man was healed and he was restored and he saw everything clearly. And as Christians, we are not meant to be left in a state of doubt and misgiving of uncertainty and lacking in spiritual joy. Brothers and sisters, we must not be comfortable going on as if we are without a Savior. Jesus Christ has come. He is a great Savior. And every need that we have, he supplies. And his death on the cross is the price that purchases every gift that leads to deep and lasting joy. Now, if you do not know and love and trust the Lord Jesus, you have no true and lasting hope. But if your faith is in Christ, he will give you a heart of repentance that you might confess to him. I see something now, but it's as trees walking, and I want to see more clearly. Lord Jesus, help me to see more clearly. And as we pray, and as we seek that from the Lord, the floodgates open, the truth of God's word is poured out on us. Brothers and sisters, are you seeing clearly? Can you see? If not, hear the promises of God's word. Why are you not seeing clearly? Do you feel the weight of God's wrath and curse hanging over you? Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree. Do you feel the condemnation against you in the courtroom of heaven? Romans 8.33 and 34, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is condemned. Christ Jesus is the one who died. Are there innumerable trespasses mounting up against you? Ephesians 1, 7, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Do you feel the weight of righteousness required that you cannot produce? 2 Corinthians 5, 21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Romans 5.19, by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Do you feel cut off from eternal life? John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Are you feeling trapped in the dominion of sin and the ruins of life? 1 Peter 2.24, He himself bore our sins on his body on a tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.15, He died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. 
Are you thinking the follies and failures of your past life drag you down with irrevocable, destructive consequences? Romans 8, 28, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purposes. Do you think you've lost all good things God planned for his children? Romans 8, 32, he who did not spare his only son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Is there any hope that a sinner like you could spend an eternity with our perfect God? 1 Peter 3.18, Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Brothers and sisters, the Lord Jesus Christ reaches out from the promises of his word to restore our sight that we might see everything clearly. Give thanks to God, even if all you can turn to God and say is that you care in some way that you might have eyes to see. Because you're not even capable of being dissatisfied with only seeing people as trees walking unless God has already done something in your life to clear up some kind of blindness, if only slightly. On your own, you're not capable of wanting God's love or even having some sense of his love not, not being there at all unless it was already there in some way to begin with. Don't take too much credit for yourself and your ability to move yourself along. Don't forget the fact that spiritual eyes to see, even seeing trees walking, that's a gift. It's a gift from God. It's a hand of Jesus that has touched you. And don't rob God of that glory. Don't take credit for yourself. And don't rob yourself of the true spiritual joy of resting in Jesus. Do you want eyes to see? Turn to Jesus and be honest. He knows your heart. He's already working. Let's pray together. Lord, we give you thanks. We give you thanks that by your grace and for your glory that you do give us eyes to see. We recognize, we acknowledge that all of us have come into this world as a spiritually blind people in need of the touch of Jesus to clear away the blindness of our lives that we might see. And Father, all of us come here this morning at various places in our spiritual lives, some of us seeing only dimly, others seeing very clearly. And for those of us who see at all, we pray, God, that you would sharpen our eyes that we might see even greater, that you would give us your word more and more, and that by your word our eyes would be opened wider and the vision would be even clearer because we want more of Jesus. And I pray for those this morning, God, who don't see it all. At first, they would know that they don't see it all. They would know they don't have eyes to see. And we pray, God, that by the power of your Spirit, you would give them eyes to see, that they would have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and be brought to repentance of sin, that they might have eternal life. 
And I pray, oh God, for our brothers and sisters, those who are longing for more of Christ in their lives right now, who have felt distant and deserted from you. God, first, that they are brought truly to the end of themselves, that they're not depending on anything in themselves, but then that they would receive all of the promises of your word as theirs, truly for them as your children. Help us to not despair, O God. Help us to not believe the lies of the evil one. Help us to trust and rest in your word. And we pray, Father, you would do all of this, that we would be all the more faithful and able to do all things to the glory of God and for the building up of your church. And we pray all of these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and